1: And welcome once again to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting here with my co-host, Mr. Tom Dorian. Tom, how are you doing? I'm great, Deacon Jeff. How are you? Man, I'm doing fantastic. I bet you are. We have a, a wonderful topic today. Can't wait to hear about it. Well, today we're going to be talking about death and dying, as a matter of fact. That's going to be a difficult topic, possibly. Well, it can be, but I think what we're going to try to do is that we're going to try to liven that topic up a little bit Ooh. today, and we're going to try to, to to look at death from a different perspective, I think. Okay. Uh, in fact, from a more... Comforting perspective. Okay, um, while it can be a difficult process, uh, a lot of people don't really know what the process of dying is going to be like. I mean, so often the day we hear of, we know of, and especially we have personal knowledge of that medical diagnosis of an impending death, and how are we going to deal with that? We're not one hundred percent sure, but right. I can say that nothing affects our families, our friends, in fact, uh, all of our environments quite the way that uh, the death does. And while it can be a tragic. Thing. You know, our actions, our attitude, and our awareness of God in these uh, final days of our lives can certainly be impactful f- to to all of those involved in this process. Oh, yeah. So our guest today is someone who's made it his personal goal to help to turn that tragedy of death into something quite beautiful. Okay. So let's, uh, let's welcome him. Uh, it's Deacon Jack Conrad. He's a permanent deacon. He's been a permanent deacon for the last 15 years. And he was a corporate executive who took uh, early retirement three years ago just so that he could spend some more time with his grandkids, but also so they could devote full time to his ministry. Okay. And so uh, he then got involved in hospice care, and he's now a chaplain manager for a major hospital. Uh, And Deacon Jack has been married for 40 years to his lovely wife, Linda uh, And uh, he's got uh, five children, four of which I believe were adopted Wow What he's going to talk about is his own personal story And how he came about being involved in hospice, etc And so let's welcome uh, Deacon Jack to the table Deacon Jack, how are you
2: doing? I'm doing fine, Deacon Jeff and Tom Good to see you
1: well, you have the honor of being the first deacon guest we've had on this program.
2: Wow. I feel I do feel honored.
1: <laughs> yeah, so we give you a special place. In fact, we ought to give him a special drink. What can we drum up for him at the Catholic Cafe? Well, you know how the waitresses like to arm wrestle? Oh, yes. To get over here. Barbara's the waitress for today. Barbara. Barbara will be happy to get you anything you'd like. All right. cup of coffee or...
2: You're just black. Just, just
1: black, black. Coffee black. hmm Well, wonderful. So... Deacon Jack, let's start at the beginning. I know when you hear the word hospice, mm-hmm. you know, I know I had this idea that hospice was something compassionate and it had something to do with end-of-life issues, but I wasn't 100% sure what hospice was. And so maybe you can sort of open our eyes a little bit about what what does that term mean?
2: You know, you're not unusual, Jeff, to have that kind of, Now, I've been told I,
1: I am unusual in many ways.
0: Well, you we, are. we won't go into that at this point. <laughs> Thank
2: you. But hospice is is really an aspect when... The time comes in all of our lives, and it will come to us in our lives, where we're no longer going to be able to be cured. We're not going to be able to be brought back to any type of uh, medicine or any type of treatments. are going to be able to solve the problems that we're facing, and we're going to have to face that death is getting closer. At that particular time, if in the way they define it is, if you've got a 50-50 chance of dying within six months, then you're able for hospice care. And you move from the curative approach to a com- much more compassionate and comfort approach, in other words, making you comfortable, and so that you can live out your life for however many days that God gives us in the uh, in the waning days in a very comfortable type of an environment.
1: So hospice is something that not only uh, is directed at you know maintaining uh, proper health care for you in in terms of comfort and mm-hmm. and and allowing you to have. As pleasant as a possible. All the
2: medications, just to make right. you comfortable, anything that is there. But it's not no longer curative.
1: But it also focuses on uh, those sort of psych- psychological, but also those spiritual and supportive That's aspects correct. of life.
2: So it takes care of not only the medical needs that you might have, but also the social needs, because a social worker will be assigned to you, as well as a chaplain. And that was my role. And I can't tell you the amount of marvelous conversations, because there's a... A lucidity, there's a, um, a truth that comes to you when you know you have a limited time that you're going to be here on this particular earth, which we all know we do, but when it becomes something that you kind of focus on, suddenly all the nonsense kind of flitters away.
1: Well, I imagine we spend so much time in our lives sort of building these walls and, and, and creating this outward appearance that may or may not be true. But when we're faced with death, I think a lot of times that wall just comes tumbling down. It's like, why am I kidding myself? or Why am I even trying to kid anyone else? So let's talk the realities That's here. That's
2: correct. We live under the illusion most of the time uh, that we're going to live forever and that tomorrow will be the same as today. And so it's a difficult thing when we encounter it. But when we encounter it, the possibilities in terms of life is amazing because suddenly it's time to maybe do some things that you haven't done. And then one of the things that have been that i've discussed in the book that i have written about it has very specifically to do with the aspect of of deciding to live while you still have the time and to re- reconcile regrets that you may have had done in your life reconciliation is a powerful tool and i've seen so many remarkable times when people will come to grips with some of the real Difficulties or difficult relationship issues that they 've had in their past
1: well we 'll get to some of those issues as we as we get further into our discussion, but let 's go back a little bit and talk about you mentioned you know living a fulfilling life yes you know and there 's that wonderful classic uh, piece of scripture in, in the Gospel of John chapter ten, verse ten, mm-hmm. where it talks about i mean Jesus came specifically. So that we, you know, to bring life and so that we could have life and so that we could have it abundantly or we could live life to the full. Yes. I mean, that's what God intends for us to do. And that's the
2: call. He calls us to live an abundant life and live it fully out.
1: Right. And he doesn't intend us at some deliverance of bad news that suddenly we should clam up and that we should shut down.
2: That's correct. Even if you are told that you only have six months to live, you still have six months to live. I've encountered so many times when you have young ones that die Well, why did they die so young? We all get one lifetime to live. We just don't know how long. And if we choose to live every moment in the preciousness that it is, that gift from God, then, my God, then we're going to have a much more abundant life and a fuller life in so many different type of ways. And
1: thanks be to God for that. Amen. Um, Well, let's sort of shift gears here a little bit. You you have written a book, Mm -hmm. and that book is called Living Before Dying, Reflections of a Hospice Chaplain. Correct. And so... You know, I I guess we want to start by asking, you know, what is it that brought you to the point where you felt the need to write a book about this topic?
2: Well, it wasn't certainly by design. It was um, I was taking my master's in religion. And as I was um, contemplating what final project master's thesis I would do. But uh, take a step back. As a hospice chaplain, you can't be anything other than compelled by the stories that you encounter. You're encountering people at the most real times of their life. You're encountering them at their, at their neediest times, but also in terms of their most free time. And so putting those two things together, I started to write stories. And I asked my advisor at, uh, at school if I could write this type of a, of a paper. And he was enthusiastic about it. And so as I started to write them, he asked me to read them in class. And I started reading them in class, and everybody started to cry and were actually excited and start laughing at the stories but where the funny parts are. And so they just encouraged me, and they said, well, you've got to write this as a book. Now, are these actual stories of things that occurred? Uh, yes. These are actual stories of real people who have gone through these different experiences.
1: Well, give us an example of what kind of a story we might encounter in, in this book.
2: Well, one of the stories, the, the, one of the ones I lead off with, which is kind of, I do it in a framework of terms of leading causes of life. We'll go into that in a little bit more detail. But the one that kind of depicts everything is a, as a, a man here in the Memphis area, and he was dying of brain cancer. And one day I was over there, and his girlfriend was there. And I noticed how much they loved each other. There was a love there that was far deeper than just girlfriend-boyfriend relationship. So I asked him when we were alone, I said, You obviously love each other. How come you never got married? And he said to me, he looked at me, he said, Jackie said, I just never asked her. And I said, what what are you waiting for? Because he was close to death. I mean, it was probably within weeks. And Actually, it was about three weeks later that he actually passed away. And he looked at me and he said, well, you know, in honesty, I'm afraid to because I was hurt so bad. And I said, what are you waiting for? They were married the following Monday, and they had two weeks of total wedded bliss. And it was a, a remarkable story of a fantastic man who decided to live before dying. Just going to read a real quick asterisk because when I did the funeral and I did the funeral for him, it says, The funeral was one of the most difficult, but yet one of the most meaningful that I have ever done or attended. Tish was overwrought with her grief, a newlywed, a wife, and now a widow. Done with full knowledge, done out of love, sacrificial love, which is what she had for Stu. And I reflect that death is more about living than dying. Death is a moment in all of our lives if we're lucky that allows us to define ourselves, our purpose, and our relationships. And that's kind of the way in which these stories kind of came about. Things that touched me, that made me feel that I was alive, and that God's presence is so vital every moment of our lives. And that as long as we have life, we have purpose. And we should never put that into a cloud that says, well, I'm going to die, so I'm not going to have purpose anymore. Uh Uh-uh. God gives you every moment for that specific purpose.
1: And it's wonderful and very touching that that God would allow those two, the the beautiful grace of of experiencing uh, matrimonial bliss, yes. as you called it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the in the waning days of this uh, this person's life, mm-hmm. you know. Obviously, as Catholics, we we understand and teach that that marriage is sort of a foretaste of our relationship with God. That mm-hmm. our marriage to our spouse on earth is much like that total self-giving love that we're going to experience with God mm-hmm. in the next life. And so here was an opportunity for God to afford so much grace to some folks that really needed it.
2: Well, in marriage, we get the capabilities. And, and like I said, I use the groundworks of the five leading causes of life, which are connectivity, which is the essential part of relationships. And when we have that relationship in a married relationship, it brings us life. It doesn't cost us anything. It doesn't require much out of us other than the fact of just giving ourselves to each other. But once that happens, we become that unity, that oneness. And it was so obvious that it was already there in those two people. All I had to do was open the door for them to walk through.
1: Well, marriage is also, in the in the Catholic view, uh, the sacrament that we do to ourselves, yes. that we are the ministers of that sacrament, and the husband and the wife.
2: You know, as deacons, we just witness it. We don't do anything other That's than just That's exactly witnessing. right.
1: So you had witnessed the fact that they were already married. That's correct. Wonderful. That's very beautiful. Um, we have so much more to say about hospice, and we'll do uh, do just that when we return. But first, I want to remind everyone about our website at www.thecatholiccafe.com com where you can find a wealth of information including mp3s of this and other shows and you can get podcasting and lots of links to other great Catholic resources on the web if you're interested about that Also I'd love to hear from you send me an email at Deacon Jeff at the com. So with that stay with us and we'll be right back
3: I'm Bestra Zimski. And this is another great moment in church history. Often, we hear of people who set one great and lofty goal in life to attain before they draw their last breath on earth, so that when death comes, they will feel that they have lived a fulfilling and profitable life. If reached, this one goal becomes their crowning achievement or greatest moment. Perhaps no one in history provides a better example of such a desire than Simeon. This righteous and devout man from Jerusalem, as St. Luke refers to him in his gospel, was told by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Messiah of the Lord. For Simeon, the mere sight of Jesus would be for him that greatest moment and most awesome blessing from God. Then, when Jesus was presented in the temple after his birth to be consecrated to the Lord as Jewish law prescribed, Simeon, filled with the Spirit, approached the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, and took the Savior of the world into his arms. His eyes must have welled with tears as he uttered a beautiful prayer of blessing to God. In Latin, Nuc dimittis, servum tuum domine, segundum verbum tuum, in pace. Lord, now lettest Thou Thy servant depart in peace, according to Thy word. For mine eyes have seen Thy salvation, which Thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to Thy people Israel. This prayer, known as the Nunc Dimittis, is prayed nightly in the Liturgy of the Hours, the great prayer of the Church. It reflects beautifully the feeling of Simeon that now, upon his seeing Jesus, his life's greatest desire was fulfilled at that moment. In chapter 10 of John's Gospel, Jesus tells us, "...I came that they may have life and have it abundantly." Indeed, Jesus came to fill our lives with His joy and love. His mere presence among us in the Incarnation was a sign from God that we are His children and He desires us to live with Him in eternity. This sign of abundant life became a reality for Simeon when he saw Jesus in the arms of Mary and Joseph. We too must pray this prayer of blessing to God, the Nuctimittis, as we celebrate the presence of Christ among us even today, some 2,000 years after his birth. He is present in his written word, in his priests, in his people who gather in worship, and most especially in the Eucharist. Before we draw our last breath, we too, like Simeon, must freely accept Christ's offer of abundant life. I'm Bestra Zimski and this is another great moment in church history.
0: Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff.
1: And welcome back to the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. We're here with Deacon Jack Conrad. And Deacon Jack, you've you've written a wonderful book here, Living Before Dying. Uh, just want to let folks know that, that that book is available right now. You can get that book if you go to www.tatepublishing.com. Uh, you can look it up under either Jack Conrad or Living Before Dying on their little search engine on that website. Uh, sounds like it's going to be something that a lot of folks nowadays uh, need to hear because we hear so much about this occurring in folks' lives. and I kind of want to talk about that maybe from a more personal point of view, Jack. Where did you get this sort of inspiration? How did you feel like it, it was your place to be involved in hospice? I know you've had some Uh, you've had some challenges family-wise.
2: Well, I can honestly, uh, I'm going to answer that in two different ways. One is the aspect that God put me there. There's there's no question in my mind that God placed me in the hospice chaplaincy. But uh, I've lost all my natural family. I'm the youngest of four children, and then everybody has died except for me, and I was kind of the um, surprise in the family. But I've lost my uh, brothers, two brothers, a sister, my father when i was 18 and my mother uh, about 17 years ago and she had hospice care and they were just absolutely marvelous and and if you've been on the experience of it as a family member you will want to somehow pay them back and so there's just a ways of kind of paying back some of the benefits that i've seen from hospice care so it's been a real personal experience too and so I'm, i'm just happy and thrilled to be able to do that
1: well, wonderful. So now, several times you've mentioned this uh, this curious phrase, leading causes of life, mm-hmm. sort of a play on words there. What do you mean by leading causes of life? Well,
2: we think about causes of death. In other words, illness is the way in which it is. Is it a tumor? Is it a heart condition? Whatever it is. But we never think about leading causes of life. And uh, Gary Gunderson and Larry Prey wrote a book called Leading Causes of Life, and they surmised and they put together five, which they didn't say was exclusive, but five leading causes of life. What causes life? I mean, you think about it. Certainly God does that, but how does it manifest itself? So he basically depicted five, the first of which is a connection, that aspect of those people that are around us to connect us and make us feel connected. Our relationships with absolutely. others. Absolutely. And in a dying person, connections start to disappear. They can't go to church anymore. I mean, that's why the ministry of taking Eucharist to people is such a valuable type of thing. And plus, I imagine some people stop coming around because they they think, oh, they want to be alone or they need to be. Absolutely, which is exactly the worst thing. Loneliness is probably the biggest issue that is associated with people in the dying process. Hmm. The second one is coherence. How does it all make sense? Why is it me? I mean, I remember talking to a Catholic man who had been away from the church for years, and he looked at me and he said, Chaplain, why me? And I looked at him and I said, and why not you? It's just your time. I don't know why it's that way. It just is. But trying to make meaning out of this whole thing. So that's coherence. The third is agency, which is our ability to do. Think about it. I remember I was talking to one man and he was upset. And forgive me for doing this on the Catholic Cafe. He was upset because he couldn't go to the bathroom by himself. Okay? He had lost the agency of getting up and going to the bathroom by himself without help, and he was angry and furious about it. But you think about that our abilities to do things we take all that for granted that 's right, and when you start to get older, it goes away and then the the fourth of them is blessing. How do we feel blessed in life i mean I have a rich and a wonderful family that I love and adore. I have a wonderful wife and stuff like that. I'm richly blessed by that. I have good health. I'm able to get around and do things. But how do we feel that sense of blessing? And if that starts to disappear, how can we still feel blessed?
1: In fact, you can probably feel the reversal of the blessing, like you've been cursed exactly. at certain points.
2: And the fact of the matter is, is that we still have to have a sense of blessing to feel that cause of life. Uh, in the hospital just the other, we- other day, I-, I noticed a couple sitting there, and they pulled a chair over to sit in the sunshine. To feel that rich blessing of sunshine coming through from God. It's the simple things sometimes. The simple things. And you become more attuned to that. And then the last one is hope. It's that, and, and as uh, Gunderson describes it, leaning into the future. It's that ability to perceive that there's something beyond this moment. And that kind of leads into the aspect of what's beyond when we die. Now, we certainly have our theology associated with it. But all of us really know until that time comes... We will experience it uniquely for ourselves. And I say in the book very, very clearly, before I was a hospice chaplain, I used to believe in an afterlife. Now I know there's an afterlife Mm. because I've been with so many people who have passed away, who have seen angels, who have seen the glories of God coming, hosts of angels and squires singing and everything else. And it's beautiful and it's peaceful and it's wonderful. And it's something to really look forward to. So
1: this, uh, this, this book is really uh, a collection of, of the stories uh, of, of some of your musings and thoughts about this topic, yes. but framed around these five causes of life.
2: That's correct. And I take stories for each one of them. And as a result of that, they, it basically describes and it kind of takes that cause of life and says, here how it is lived. And then I also give examples of how it's not lived.
0: Deacon Jack, you, you also have in, in, your, in your book a, a curious phrase that states, uh, death matters in life. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: If you think about it, when we encounter death, whether that be in a parent or whether it be in a, a, a spouse or be in, in anybody that is really close to us, even if the first time that we ever encounter it when we're young, I remember when my grandmother passed away when I was six years old, and I went and I looked in this casket for the first time. I'd never seen anything like that. And I looked inside, and that wasn't my grandmother. My grandmother was a robust, happy, laughing woman. And this was just a wisp of what she once was. It mattered to me. My grandmother was no longer there. If you think about it, all the deaths that come into life, and they will come, there's no getting around that. When those deaths come into your life, it impacts you. You make decisions about the way life is, whether God is fair or unfair. It has a lot to do. I make the statement in the book, as well as often, about the fact that nobody dies without a theology, even if you're an atheist. Right. You still have a belief system. Absolutely. And the fact that matters is, that, and I can honestly tell you, those who have a strong faith system do much, much better in the closing days of their life. They know that there's something to look forward to. They know that there's something that it lies beyond what they're going through. And they look at it in terms of a joyful hope. So death does matter in life. If we allow it to. And in fact, I think
1: it can be a catalyst for some of those folks when you know that death is imminent. Yes. It's a catalyst to sort of spark that faithful experience and to realize that it it cuts right through all the muck and the mire that we've created in life. All the and nonsense, it blazes through.
2: Jeff, all the nonsense goes away. And suddenly you're really, and, and I can honestly tell you that, that I've heard, i had people tell me that they'll overhear our conversations that I'll have with people and they'll say, They never talked to me that honestly before. It's not that I'm something special. It's just the fact that there's no need to have any pretenses anymore. And it's this this whole concept of regrets, which I also cover in the book. They've done a study and says that we all live out regrets. Regrets of things that we've done and things that we haven't done. And obviously from our Catholic perspective, this is the aspect of the importance of going to reconciliation, to letting ourselves be free of what may be inhibiting us, but also from the aspect of what didn't I do. And it's taught me as I've gone through this, I'm going to live my life to the fullest for as long as I have it. And, you know, I'm going to do things before the time comes when I may have a regret of not doing things or experiencing it. So
1: you're saying that that regrets actually can play a positive here in the experience. so.
2: Absolutely so. And and if you feel like you're having a regret about a, a relationship that you need to reconcile with or something like that, what are you waiting for? Go do it. Do it today. Because you don't know if you're going to have it tomorrow. And when you have that aspect of somebody telling you you only have a certain amount of time to live, it focuses you and it focuses you hard, and there's a lot of beautiful stories in terms of th- the way in which this book rolls out in terms of people that encounter that particular type of experience. so
1: looking back, and I know you're, you're not even near the end of your, your diaconal ministry here. Mm-hmm. It's such a beautiful ministry it is. you know what is one big overall overarching thought you have? This just sort of sum up your experience with hospice when you see someone experience something positive in death like this and I know you've had many experiences with that
2: how does that make you feel it makes me feel um, overjoyed when I see people actually embracing the aspect that they're going to moving into a different type of a realm they're going to be moving into their association with God in my diaconal experience most of my concepts in terms of life and death come back from an experience of a seven month old that passed away and the family asked me to do the funeral what am I supposed to tell a family who lost a seven month old This little child had a very, very rare disease. And I came up with two things, which have now kind of the cornerstone of my belief about life and death. One, God doesn't give us one second upon this planet unless there's a purpose to it. We may never understand that purpose, but we have purpose. And then the second thing that's associated with that very, very clearly uh, in terms of the aspect of purpose is the aspect that we all have one lifetime. And there's no guarantee of how long that is. And if we view it in that type of a context and keep that focused in our lives, then you're never going to deny or take not miss the opportunities or have those regrets, if you will, in life. And to me, that's the essence of what life is. It's purposeful. God created it. God gave it to us. We should live it to the fullest every second it.
1: Wonderful. That's beautiful. Again, the book is Living Before Dying, Reflections of a Hospice Chaplain. It's available on TatePublishing.com, um, and soon it will be available at a bookstore near you. But right now, you can go to TatePublishing.com and get that book. Deacon Jack, thank you so much for being with I us today. I appreciate it. Thanks for the coffee. This is a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful blessing of a ministry, and we're blessed to have you as as part of this. Obviously, you've taken such a personal Uh, attachment to this, to this ministry that it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's played out so well.
2: Well, thank you, Jeff. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Wonderful. So let's, uh, let's close in prayer.
1: Heavenly father, we know that you truly love us and desire us to seek you out and live. So as to glorify you, help us to live life to the full and grant us the graces we need to be always open to your will for us, to see your hand in all that we experience. We ask you to grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever.
0: Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to Deacon Jeff at thecatholiccafe.com.